0: Getting down to things a little bit uh, quickly this morning. (laughs) Uh, And that's probably a good thing. Uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the book of Hebrews. Um, Hopefully now you're more familiar with the book of Hebrews than you have been in the past. As we've been going through it. This is not the first time that we've preached through Hebrews. Uh, We did it many, many years ago. The first time. I think we were a little bit hurried as we did that so i've been taking purposely taking my time going a little bit slower this time but the reality is this is if, if you've been keeping up and you've been reading and studying the book of hebrews and just listening to what we're talking about in the worship service it's pretty obvious this that, that it's not inconceivable that we could spend the rest of our lives studying this particular book it is rich in theology it's rich in our understanding of what Christianity is and what Christ requires of us uh, and wishes of each one of us. Uh, We've come now to a very important chapter in this book, and I would imagine for most of you, if you knew anything about the book of Hebrews uh, before we began this, that you're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11, right? Which is very often called the Hall of Faith where the author goes through and he identifies numerous people from the past as being fathers uh, of the faith. People who stood out, in a sense, of having very great faith uh, uh, in God. There's lots of things we can glean from this. Lots of things that we can gain from this. And so we're not going to do the whole chapter today. We're going to do half the chapter today and we're going to finish it up next week. So let me read uh, the first 16 verses of chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, an ark for the saving of the households, of his household. By this, uh, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. He went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. He has prepared them a city. As I think I've already said, this is very often acknowledged or called basically what's the hall of faith. I'm sure you've probably heard that terminology before. One of the things that you might note as you're going through there is there are a couple of surprises in here. Two people in particular, and the reason I want to bring them to your attention is so you'll understand this, and that is that God doesn't expect any of us to have absolutely perfect faith, that our faith is going to be flawed. Uh, but, But if you know anything about the biblical stories of Samson, and also, Jephthah, they did some really great things in the name of God, but at the same time, they were not particularly moral people. So what I'm telling you here is these two names, they just kind of, they stick out for me. That they would be included in this hall of those people who are considered to be great, uh, greatly faithful in their service to God, in their faith in God. Those particular names give me a little bit of comfort. It makes me have a sense of maybe fitting in here a little bit better. (laughs) So we need to understand that, and I just want to bring that to your attention. That It's not a list of perfect people. It's not a list of people who had absolutely perfect faith, but it is people who did live by their faith. We read this verse uh, i think last week faith is the assurance of things hoped for the conviction of things not seen it's all about hoping and it's all about conviction the puritan john owen writes he says faith alone from the beginning of the world in all ages under all dispensations of divine grace has been the only principle in the church of the living god of obtaining the promises inheriting eternal life, and continues to be unto the consummation of all things. In other words, faith is the key to everything. Faith is the key to everything else. And what he's saying here is very clearly there is a difference between the old dispensation of the gospel and the new dispensation of the gospel. And the difference is Jesus was coming and now Jesus has come. But the point that he's making is this, is that from the dawn of time, all of those who have been saved have been saved by faith in God. Not by their own works, not by their own goodness, not by their own abilities. The Old Testament, they look forward to the Savior to come. We, on the other hand, have the privilege of looking back on the Savior who has come. And just remember this, it was by the faith of Jesus Christ that we were saved. It was by his faith, his unyielding and perfect faith that we gained our salvation. Jesus said this, he said, for for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. The faith of Jesus underlying all of that. His unyielding, unwielding trust, absolute trust in God the Father. Without faith, it's impossible to please him, that is God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So number one in having faith, the first thing that you have to have before you can even have faith, and that is to, to believe that God exists. Without a knowledge of the fact that God exists, faith is worthless, faith is useless, faith is not founded on anything. We know that Adam and Eve had a special relationship with God, but we also know that as they began to have descendants, things began to get off track, you know, and that sort of thing. And, you know, the, the, the sin that they committed was manifested itself in sins that their children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren were committing that came after them. But I don't know about you, you know, I haven't been a believer my whole lifetime. I've been a believer now for like 40 years or something like that. But I've spent even a good a little bit of my adult life as an unbeliever. Uh, but I can remember even back as in, in that place that every now and then I would wonder about things. You know, maybe maybe there is a being. And, you know, how did all this stuff come to being? There's got to be something that is the lies behind all of it some kind of force or some this that or the other Uh, and it's the only thing that makes any sense otherwise you believe that all this stuff just was has been here eternally and somehow in some way some mystical and magical forces have made things like the earth and made things like people in any other context, something like that would make absolutely no sense to any of us. We know things that they, like that don't really happen. It's against all logic and reason for people to believe things like that. What I would say to you this morning is it takes a lot more faith to believe that God, there's not a God and he didn't create the earth than there is to believe there is a God who did create the earth. In us, but most of you ought I to. Mean, some of you can't remember a time that you were not a Christian. But there are a lot of us who can, and 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 I would have, would imagine that at times you would wonder, where did I come from? Where did all of this come from? How did it come to be? How did it come to pass? But see, there's only two possible explanations to those questions. And one of those is the existence of a creating God. The other is just the idea that all of what we see and know is a product of some natural processes that have taken place without any divine guidance or direction or anything along those lines. Just a product, basically, of of physical, natural laws working in the midst of happenstance. My whole point at this point is this, is everybody has faith in something. But that's not enough. It has to be faith in the right place. Faith in Almighty God. Otherwise, you have to believe. You have to, this is just what it is. Period. It is what it is just because it is. The fact that you and I are here having this conversation this morning that we even exist is one of the greatest arguments there is for the existence of God. What I would say, I would go so far this morning to say to you that our existence actually demands God's existence. You can't have one without the other. It's an impossibility. In theology, we talk very often about two different modes or forms of revelation. One of those we call natural uh, revelation or sometimes general revelation, and then we call the other special revelation general slash natural revelation is available to everyone. In other words, it's it's people looking upon the universe and the world around us and we ourselves and coming to an understanding that this is impossible that this could have happened just on its own, that there has to be a guiding being behind all of it. So general revelation is available to everyone. Special revelation on the other hand, is God using special means to reveal himself or make himself known to particular people like us. A good example of special revelation is scripture. I mean, we can learn about God from creation, right? But we'd learn a whole lot more about God from the Bible. Using the two things in conjunction with with each other increases our knowledge and understanding of this God. But the greatest revelation of God to mankind and to the world is Jesus Christ himself. That in this man we see God himself. He's the perfect depiction of God in human form. Cannot be improved upon, cannot be taken away from. He's absolutely the perfect picture of God Almighty in human form. Jesus once said to Philip, one of his disciples, he who has seen me has what? He has seen the Father. By faith... As we read, the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things visible. That's what is called creation ex nihilo, which means creation out of nothing. In other words, there was nothing that God had in hand to start with when he created the heavens and the earth he's not just taking something that pre-existed and rearranging it he is creating the stuff the universe is made of from scratch now let me tell you when we think about that you think about the immensity of this universe and god spoke the word and this universe came into being what does that say how big the god is A God that's capable of doing something like that is unbelievable. It's way beyond our ability to even imagine how great and glorious and grand and powerful this God is. But that is our God. how is it we come to know all these things well sometimes there is a sense in which knowledge and logic and reason enter into the picture but we know that fundamentally it comes down to faith we receive these things because of faith do you have all the answers to all your questions has every i been dotted for you has has every t been crossed when it comes to absolutely everything We share this faith with one another. But we share it with brothers and sisters who proceeded forth before us all through the ages. It is the thread that holds us together. It is that which we have in common with one another. We're told that without faith it is impossible to please him obviously referring to pleasing God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And we know that the Lord at the very beginning of time wrote the names of all of those who would become part of his household in what's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Referred to in the book of Revelation. But before that, Exodus chapter 32, verse 32. John Owen, the Puritan, describes his faith as divine, supernatural, justifying, and saving faith. God saves us from our sins for a relationship with him that we would know him that we would serve him that we would love him with all of our heart and mind and soul and strength without faith it is impossible to please him He who comes to God must believe that he is, that we all do, and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. There's a sense in which you could say that we exist, we are, simply because God knew us into being. It's not that he was looking ahead and that he, would, he knew that we, because he looked ahead, he knew that we would be born. Don't understand it like that. We need to understand it in the sense that we were born because God knew us into being. And for a reason, he wanted us to know him. Not that he just knew us. He decided that he wanted us to know him. To be bound together in a loving and caring and trusting and saving relationship. Some people believe that God just expects us to have blind faith. In other words, faith that's not really based upon anything. Faith is central to Christianity. We know that. The strange thing about it is faith only appears five times in Hebrews before chapter 11, but in chapter 11 it appears 25 times. I mean, you see it over and over in this particular chapter. Paul actually uses the term that we translate as faith more in the book of Romans 37 times in 12 chapters pistis faith in verse 4 the the author begins to to, to to bring to attention to particular biblical characters that demonstrated faith in obvious manners and ways. Some of them are a little surprising. Abel. I don't know if you've noticed this, but there's really no biblical uh, record that Abel had any children. what I'm telling you is mankind for the most part of course came from his brother came not amazing uh, he begins to run through all these biblical characters and I'm sure you're familiar with some of them maybe not Some as much as others, but, uh, you know, Abel being the very first one. Enoch, who actually was a son of Cain, being another one. And the thing about Enoch that's surprising and shocking is uh, we're told that he was taken up uh, so that he should not see death, but was taken up because he was pleasing to God, the son of One of the 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 sons of Cain, not uh, directly in the line of Cain. Just a generation or two removed from him. Actually, Enoch was one of the sons of Cain. So here you have an example of a son not following at all in his father's footsteps. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Enoch pleased God and was translated to heaven because he had faith. Again, he didn't experience death. and the the prophet Elijah are the only two examples I can think of in scripture of people who did not actually physically die why? why these people? who knows? God knows that's all that matters Enoch is also mentioned in the book of Jude verses 14 through 16 And this is what is said about him. The seventh son of Adam prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, to convict the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. Is he talking about some event that's taken place in the past already or is he talking about the future judgment to come? You know, you read Bible scholars and you're going to find people that fall on both sides of that scale. Is it something that's happened already or is it looking forward to something that's going to happen in the future? But we do know this, that ultimately this prophecy is fulfilled in the second coming of Christ in its fullest and most complete expression. Enoch fathered Methuselah, who lived to be 969 years old. Can you imagine? Of course, you know that this is uh, one of the things uh, of Genesis has been challenged by people over and over again for generations and for centuries because, why? Because, People don't live to be this old by any stretch of the imagination in today's world. Okay? But the Bible says it, therefore I believe it. And it's talking about 969 literal years. Now can you imagine living that long? The things that you would see as the world became more and more populated and this, that, and the other, the world changing in all kinds of ways and most of those ways not good ways as man begins to propagate and expand across the globe. He didn't even uh, spend near as many years here on earth as a lot of those people that went before him and after him. Only 365 years. His, his lifetime was relatively short compared to lots of these other people. And it's hard to conceive of living. It's hard to conceive of living to be 365 years old. Much less 950. But then along came something. There was a guy named Noah, Right? And the flood that took place in his time. And from that point on, you see a drastic decrease in the average lifespan of people. There's a sense in which maybe this is a continuation of God's judgment upon mankind because of the sin that brought the flood upon the world to start with. On the other hand, we're living in a time where people really are living to be older and older and older on the average. You've heard me say this before, and you're probably sick of hearing it. In 1900, in the good old U.S. of A., the average lifespan was 45 years. Very few people lived to see their 60s and their 70s. Now we're living in a time where a large percentage of people live to see their 80s and very often their 90s. and we know that this is a blessing from god without faith it is impossible to please god our religions promote faith as some uh, of some sort in something or someone it may even be yourself Every other religion is about keeping a set of standards slash rules well enough to make the mark. Christianity says there is, by the way, a mark. But you, by the way, don't come close to making it. Any of us. Even the best among us. We fall so far short of the standard that it's not even worth talking about. So sinlessness is the standard for making it. Where would that leave us apart from our faith in Christ? Because Christianity says that there indeed is a mark, and that is absolute sinlessness. And oh, by the way, you don't make it, none of us make it, none of us ever have made it. And where we're left is this. As we are left understanding that we are in utter and absolute need of a substitute who will do for us that which we cannot do. If it's going to be done, someone else is going to have to do it. We can't. And we understand that Jesus, because he was the son of man and the son of God, was the only person who is actually even able to meet the standard. He is it. He is everything. Every religion has its standards. Things that you have to do. A mark that you have to make. including Christianity. And that standard is absolute perfection. Keeping the law of God absolutely, perfectly, always. We need someone to make the mark. For us, it really goes way beyond (laughs) need. We must, in fact, have someone who can make or has made the mark for us. Jesus has done it all. you notice all of these people that are listed in, the, uh, in this chapter one after each other that there's only one thing that is highlighted that, that they have in common with each other and that is faith undying unyielding faith in God Faith not in themselves, but faith in the God who made us. Faith in the Savior who has saved us. Faith in the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Faith is a key to everything. With it, we have everything. Without it, we have absolutely nothing. We have a listing here of faithful saints of the past. There is a list, a far more important list. This is basically just a sub list of this other greater list. and what that list is called is the lamb's book of life mentioned in revelation 13 8 and other places we are here this morning because your name was written in that book at the beginning of time and god has done everything necessary to bring each one of us to the point we are at it is his doing it is his working we can take no credit for it we cannot put be puffed up and all proudful about it every one of us is a sinner every one of us continues to sin the sin i hate most of all is my own and it hounds me it's always riding on my back it's always looking over my shoulder it is with me wherever i go it's with me as i speak It's with me in everything that I do. But at the same time, the Lord has hold of us. And even though sin will continue to attempt and do its best to lead us astray, to carry us down roads of destruction, God will not let go. He, like He did with all of these that are listed here, He will carry us.